Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, This weekend, the the value we're sharing this weekend, it's not a new value, it's an old value. We've We've just tweaked it a little bit. Um, back in January, we had a staff retreat and we were talking about our values and who we are. And we got to one of our core values and it was creative evangelism. And creative evangelism for us is, hey, we wanna reach people, reach lost people in creative ways. And that's why we do things like at the movies. And that's why we have different things that we do like even Starlet Night. Like, hey, we wanna reach people no one else is reaching by doing things that no one else is doing. And so there are lots of things we do as a church that our methodology is a little different, but we wanna reach people that aren't really interested in going to church. So it shapes some of what we do. But as we were talking about this, this value, some of our staff spoke up and said, do you think this might be intimidating to our people? Because these aren't just values we wanna embody corporately as a congregation. We want you to embody them in your personal life. And they said, do you think the words creative evangelism get in the way of that? Because a lot of people don't think they're creative and a lot of people are scared of evangelism because they think it's preaching, like standing up in your break room, you know, at the office and saying, thus saith the Lord, and you're just whooping people on the heads with Bibles, like that's what they think of. That's not what we're interested in, okay? And so he said, what if we tweak this? What if we simplify this? And simple is always good. It's always better in my opinion. So we simplified this. And so our, our core value that's replaced this, it's the same really, it's just a little different. It's just reach the lost, One of our core values here at Summit Church is we wanna reach the lost. If someone is lost, no matter where they are, in our community, in our county, in our region, in our world, we wanna reach them. And the same statement is true. To reach people no one else is reaching, we have to do what no one else is doing. And this is true of us as a church, but I wanna help you with this. This is true of you as an individual as well. I want you as a follower of Jesus to reach people no one else is reaching. And in order to do that, you will probably have to do what no one else is doing. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to do a big event. It doesn't mean you have to do something crazy because probably there aren't a lot of people that are just taking time to care for their neighbors or taking time to show interest in your coworkers. And so there are simple things you can do to reach people around you, to... to, to reach the lost. And that's what we want you to do. That's what we want you to, to, to live out. That it's not something that's reserved for vocational pastors like me or missionaries like Adam. This is for all of us. This is an invitation to the body of Christ to do what Jesus did and reach the lost. Now, when we talk about the word lost, a lot of different things might come to mind. Um, like if you've ever lost your keys, uh, we never lose our keys at convenient times, right? It's always at inconvenient times. You're walking out the door and you're like, oh, I lost my keys. Now, I always put my keys in the exact same place. There are some exceptions. If, I, uh, if I've gotten groceries, I do the man grocery thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where I'm like, I'm not making four trips. I'm making one trip and I'm gonna carry 45 grocery bags in two hands. And so you're carrying all these and your fingers are straining and the bags are tearing, but you don't care and you get in and you throw them down and my keys will end up in there somewhere sometimes. And I, then later I'm like, where am I? I can't find my keys. And that's where they end up at. Um, what's even worse than that is losing your phone. And when you lose your phone, it feels like a piece of you has died. <laughs> like, oh, I gotta find that. And thankfully there are apps now, like find my iPhone. But even with that, it's kind of funny because it's like, oh, I can't find, where's my phone? I can't find my phone. And it's like, hold on. And then you do the, like the ringtone, like the, you know, everybody shut up, everybody shut up, shut up. 
ding, 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 ding. And you're like hunting, you're like a, you're like a bloodhound for just a little bit. And you're like, where's that at? Everybody, stop it, do it again, I couldn't hear it, right? You're doing this whole thing. Why? Because you lost your phone and you're trying to find your phone. And the reason you're trying to find it is because it's got value, right? It's got your calendar, it's got your contacts, it's got all the stuff that you need, it's there. So it's valuable. If it wasn't valuable, you wouldn't care about finding it. Maybe you're like Kim and I, maybe you've lost a child. We, we lost a child one time. Abby well, was at Target. I was sitting at work. I was working. I wasn't working for a church at the time. I was working for a, a baseball team as we were helping plan a church. And I'm sitting in my office and Kim calls. And she is, I could hear her crying. I'm like, baby, what's wrong? Should have lost Abby. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Where are you at? She said, I'm at Target. I was like, I should have known. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a cheap shot. I'll pay for that later. <laughs> she's like, that's okay, I'm cooking your lunch. So she's like, I'm at Target. And she ran away. And this is the thing Abby was always a flight risk for us. Like, no matter where we were in parking lots, you could not let her hand go because she was a world class sprinter. Like, boom, gone, right? It was like, it was like uh, Bugs Bunny. There was just a cloud of dust where she once was, and she was out of there. So she loved to hide from us at Target. And so she would run and she was never quiet. This child was never quiet unless she was asleep or hiding from us at Target. Those were the only times she was ever quiet. She would crawl up in the clothes rack so that her feet weren't showing. So you couldn't just look under. You'd have to actually open the clothes up and look in every rack. That's fun. <laughs> One time she crawled in, into the Pepsi display, like behind the Pepsi Children are sanctifying. They help us grow closer to Jesus, right? But, but Kim was concerned. She said, I've lost Abby. So I left work and I went and found her. Like we went and hunted and looked for her. We had people from Target helping us look. Like, ah, we found her, right? And so many times when we think of losing something, we think of getting it back. Well, I've lost my keys. I'm gonna find them. They're in the house somewhere. Okay, I've lost Abby and we're nervous, but she's in the store, right? And if somebody kidnaps her, they will bring her back pretty soon. <laughs> they won't keep her long. So we're safe, right? So there's this idea when we lose something, it will return. We will get it back. And let's be honest, even with people who pass away, there's grief behind that. We've lost people close to us. But if they die in Christ, there's this peace that we have that we will see them again. They're not truly lost, there's a definition of lost in scripture. It's the one that's used most commonly in the New Testament. And it's um, apole, uh, never mind. It's this word right here. Apolume, that's what it is right there. And it doesn't just mean to lose that you pick them up later like your keys. It actually means to destroy, which is a different context. Now there are many subtle different variations of this definition in scripture that we see, but all the examples we're gonna to use today that you're gonna see when we talk about lost, it's the same word. And this doesn't make a lot of sense until we look at it in more context. So in Luke chapter 15, there's a story that Jesus tells about this rich man who his son leaves home and his son eventually comes back and he has to have a hard conversation with his other son because his other son is mad because they're throwing a party for the son who was gone. And this is what 
This is what the father in Jesus' story says. Luke chapter 15, verse 32. The father says this, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And this is so important because what he does is he creates this parallel definition. He says, he was dead, but he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so I want you to think about it in this context. When someone is lost, when we say we want to reach the lost, we're not just saying, maybe we'll find them. Oh, they're around here somewhere, it'll be fine. There's a greater urgency to this statement than just, well, if we find them, great. If we don't find them, great. What we have to understand is people aren't just lost. If they're apart from Christ, they are dead. And so in a very real sense, what we're doing is we're not just reaching the lost, we're bringing life to those who are dead. So I want you to understand this challenge that's been presented to us, this invitation we have from Christ to be involved in this process has more urgency and has more power and has more, I don't know, it's more vibrant to us than it should be if it's just like, oh, let's go, let's go reach the lost. That sounds like something fun to do. No, this literally is life and death. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19. He said this, the, the son of man, he was referring to himself, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. There's another translation that says that which is lost, but I like this better because it's personal. It makes it about people, right? He came to seek and save. This is, this is a vision statement for Jesus. This is his mission statement. This is why he existed. This is why he came to earth, was to seek and save the lost. He did not come to make us comfortable. He did not come to make us happy. He did not come so we could build big churches and you could just enjoy the worship and you could maybe laugh at the sermon if it was good and then you would leave and I'm, I'm gonna feel good while I'm there. That's great, but that is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. And this is so important that we understand why we exist, why Jesus came and, and why we live our lives. See, sometimes when we hear messages like this, we get nervous because we think that the end game is me giving an invitation. Like, <laughs> if you really love Jesus, you're gonna go to Africa. And everybody's like, well, I do love Jesus, but I don't wanna go to Africa. And we all come forward and we're like, okay, I'll go to Africa, I guess. Like, that's the thing we feel pressure about, right? Like, I don't know. If you really love Jesus, you're gonna preach in your lunch table in school, you're gonna preach the God, you know, here's what you have to do. We feel pressure because the reality is, we're like, what if I don't say the right words? What if I don't say the right things? What if I, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And I wanna take some pressure off of you. Jesus said, the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. The son of man, he's talking about himself. Jesus came to save people, lost people. Let me relieve some pressure from you. You can't save lost people. I cannot save lost people. I will have people that are very kind and generous with me and they'll say things like, Pastor Mel, your message has changed my life. 
And I'm honored that they would say that, but I wanna be very careful how I handle that. And I'm quick to say, hey, it was not my message. It was the Holy Spirit working through my message. I am just a conduit. It is God who is, is providing the life, right? I am just carrying the gospel to people who are dead. That's all I'm doing. I'm not the one doing the work. I don't save anyone. You don't save anyone. If you've got a, a lost friend or loved one, if your child is far from God, if your parents are far from God, whoever it is, if your spouse is far from God, it is not your responsibility to save them. It is your responsibility to carry life to dead people and then let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. It's your responsibility to share the life and light of Christ with people who are walking in darkness and need it. And it doesn't make us better than anybody. Just because I've been pulled out of a pit doesn't make me better than the people still in the pit. We were both in the pit. I just happened to be rescued first. I was lost and then I was found. I was dead, now I'm alive. People that have been resurrected don't get to brag that they're resurrected. They should get to work helping resurrect dead people. First Peter chapter one, verse 22 says this. You were cleansed, Peter's talking to the church. He says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obey the truth. Notice he didn't say when you heard the truth. He says, when you obey the truth. Because we can hear truth and it doesn't change us. It only transforms us when we begin to put to action what we've heard. That's why there are gonna be people shocked on the day of judgment that are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, I went to church all the time. And Jesus is gonna be like, yeah, but you heard the truth, you didn't obey the truth. So we have to obey the truth. This is what is transformational in our lives. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 40, it says this, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He says the word of God is constant. And then he says this, and that word is the good news that was preached to you. He says the gospel is the only constant in our lives. The, cost, the gospel will march on. Our lives, how I feel, how I look, what I prefer, everything in my life is temporary. But yet I, I stake so much of my life on those things. And he says, we were changed by the gospel. We were changed by the truth when we obeyed the truth. And then he commands us to love each other. And can I tell you the most loving thing you can do for the people around you is to carry life to them? The most loving thing you can possibly do for someone you care about is to share the good news with them. And it doesn't mean you preach necessarily, but what it means is you... You talk to them about what God has done in your life. There's a, a quote that's commonly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and it says something like this, um, preach wherever you go, and if necessary, use words. And I like that to some degree because what it's saying is live out your faith in such a way that people are clear about who you are. I get it. But let me just be honest with you. This is insufficient. It is not enough. Um... There are a lot of moral atheists that I know. In fact, some of the most moral people I know are people that don't believe in God. They are kind, they can be generous, they're loving, but they're dead. 
because they're lost. Think about it this way. What if you worked with somebody? They were in your office with you day in, day out. You got to know them. And you know how this is. If you, if you go to a workplace, you're around people that you normally would not necessarily hang out with, but you get to know them. You start sharing your lives together, talking. You become friends to some degree with the people you work with. Now imagine you work with somebody for years. Maybe you've eaten lunch with them. You've taken breaks with them. You work together for years. You get to know each other well. And one day you ask the question, you say, hey, do you ever think you might get married? And your coworker looks at you with some shock and they say, well, I am married. Like, you're, you're married? Yes, I'm married. Well, why did you never say that before? How come I didn't know you were married? Well, I don't know. Maybe because it's none of your business if I'm married. That's a personal issue between me and my spouse that I don't feel that I have to proclaim to everyone who I'm married to. So it's not really any of your business. And another thing, I try to live out my marriage in such a way that people know I'm married without me telling them that I'm married. If they said that to you, wouldn't you think they were nuts? Wouldn't you be like, you are out of your mind. Because here's the thing, if you love someone, won't you talk about it? I mean, I can talk to somebody for about one minute before they will hear that I am married and that I have girls, right? Why? Because I love them. They're an important part of my life. But yet here's what happens for so many people. We say, oh, we come into church like this. We go, oh, Jesus, I love you. You have my heart. You have my life. I am yours. And then we go to work the next day and we are undercover. And we don't want people to know. And we say, well, I'll just live it out. And, and I'm gonna let my faith, I'm gonna let my actions speak for my faith. I don't have to preach. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live my faith out. Good for you. I would guarantee you, Nobody in your office is gonna come up to you and be like, ah, I don't know what's going on. I just feel compelled. Tell me about this Jesus that you know. I've just seen you be so nice and it must be Jesus, so tell me about it. Like, that's not gonna happen. It's not. You have to talk about who Jesus is. You have to talk about what God has done in your life. In the same way that you talk about your family and you talk about sports, you talk about the Steelers and you talk about the Penguins and you, well, nobody talks about the Pirates, but you know what I mean. <laughs> we talk about the things we love. So why aren't we talking about Jesus? Why aren't we talking about the greatest thing that's ever happened in our lives? Maybe it's because it hasn't really been transformational in our lives. Maybe our faith is not as authentic as we think it is. But God invites us to reach the lost. He invites us to. This is what he came to do. This is what he invites us to be a part of. A couple things I wanna share with you about this though. Um, let me start in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is, um, he's having this conversation with some of his followers and then some of his critics. Uh, his critics, these religious people are upset with him because he has, um, he's been hanging out with people that are not religious. He's been hanging out with lost people. And they're critical of that, saying he shouldn't do that. And so this is his response to them when they say he should not be hanging out with lost people. He says this in verse four of Luke chapter 15. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the, the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. 
In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, Jesus is talking directly to the religious people here. He's saying, heaven gets more excited about the lost who are found, the dead who come to life, than those of you who think that you're alive and you deserve it. So he's talking right to them, but listen to what he says. He says, the shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one. Now, this doesn't make a lot of sense from a business perspective, okay? Now, it makes all the sense in the world from a faith perspective. I am grateful for a God. I'm grateful for the good shepherd who would leave the 99 to come and find me when I was lost. I am grateful for that. But it doesn't make business sense. Think about it this way. Uh, sheep was worth uh, less than half of a day's wages at that point. So if you had 99 sheep and one was lost, it doesn't make sense to risk the health of the 99 to go find the one. It is a bad, it is a bad investment strategy, right? Like I'm, I might lose another sheep or two more sheep. So I've got to hang on to what I've got instead of finding the one. If you had, um, if you had $100 and you lost a dollar, you probably wouldn't freak out about that dollar. It's just a dollar. Let, let me back it up into our terms. Uh, if you had a dollar and you lost a penny, you would not even worry about it. In fact, even if you found the penny, you might not go get it, right? It's like, oh, that penny's under the couch. I'm not moving the couch for that, <laughs> right? You're walking down the street and there's a penny on the ground. Now I pick up the pennies because I'm a cheapskate, okay? <laughs> but but we, we make a value decision at that moment. Is this penny worth me bending over for? And most people will say, no, it's not. They keep walking. Right? They've made a judgment. That one is not worth the effort. And here's what I want you to know. Reaching the lost is inconvenient. Reaching the one will never happen when it's convenient or easy or comfortable for you. You're going to have to be inconvenienced. You're going to have to be uncomfortable. It's going to require you doing something you don't normally do. The, the shepherd had to leave the 99 and be inconvenienced. I'm sure he could have made excuses like, man, I've been watching this show on Netflix that just came out. I'm like, I don't want to go. Man, I've had a long day. I need some me time. I'm not going to go. But our heavenly father said, the one that is lost is worth it. Because it's not just a penny. It's not just a sheep. It's a person with value. That eternity hangs in the balance. This is not just lost and found. It is dead and alive. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. It says this, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come from the strength of the ox. I love this. What the, uh, the writer of Proverbs is saying is you have a choice. You can either have a clean barn because do you know oxen make mess? Did you know that? Do we have to go there? I think I, I'm, cows make a mess, okay? So he said you can either have a clean barn, but if you get a clean barn, you're not gonna get a harvest. Or you can have a harvest and a messy barn. You get to decide, now, I talk to churches, I have the privilege of talking to pastors and churches often. And a lot of times, some of the churches I, I get to speak to are churches that are in steep decline and they're in trouble. And they reach out to us and say, we need help, we're trying to figure out what to do. And, and I have the opportunity to go in and have conversations with these churches. And almost without exception, the church's decline began when they began prioritizing um, their convenience and a clean barn over the harvest. 
The day they started saying, it's more important for us to keep our people happy instead of, we're gonna keep the 99 instead of looking for the one because that's inconvenient. Uh, we're gonna do this. We're gonna live this way. Because I talk to churches all the time that I'll say, hey, so you wanna reach younger people. Maybe you need to have a nursery in case a family with kids show up. Well, no, that's too hard to do that and get that ready because what if they don't show up? Well, that's difficult. We'll just, we'll just throw something together if a family shows up with kids. Oh my gosh. What they're saying is it's too inconvenient. It's too much work. It's not worth it for us. That penny's too hard to get to, so we're just gonna leave it. And what they're saying is it's inconvenient. It's not worth it. And for you, let me help you, churches do this, but people do it as well. Individuals go, man, my neighbor, um, I know that they're not serving God. I know that they don't know Jesus and they're dealing with some stuff. I need, to, I need to bake them some brownies. I need to walk over and just be a friend of them. God, I'm exhausted. It's been a long day. I'm so tired. And whether you realize it or not, you're making a value decision about that person. You're, you're saying that penny's not worth picking up. What you're saying is that person, that, that sheep is not worth the risk. So as a result, I'd rather be comfortable. I'd rather be, I'd rather not be inconvenienced by trying to reach the lost. But I'm telling you, the lost need to be found. The dead need to find life. The man who left the 99 sheep and found the one, if you asked him, he would say it was worth it. It was inconvenient, but it was worth it. It was worth the inconvenience of leaving and going and tracking the sheep down and finding the sheep. It was worth it to carry the sheep back on my shoulders. It was worth it. Reaching the lost is inconvenient. Reaching the lost is hard work. In the next passage, so Jesus tells a story about this lost sheep and then he keeps telling another story. And he says, this in verse eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. One of these coins was the value of about one day's labor. So she loses a day's labor in value, basically. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call, all, call in all of her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. This lady lost some money. Now it's getting real, right? If you lost a, whatever a, the equivalent of a day's wage is for you, if you lost it in your house, you would probably look for it. You'd probably hunt it down. And, and you might call some people and get some feedback. I don't know where I left it. Where do you think I should look? Oh, I, do you, can you give me any help? You might solicit friends to come help you find it because there's an urgency, because there is value in that coin that you have lost. There's value in that money you've lost. And when you find it, you might be so relieved. You'd be like, whoo, thank God. You'd call your family, you call your mom. Oh, mom, I found it, don't worry. And they would be excited for you. There would be celebration, right? And this is what God wants for us when it comes to Reaching the lost, he wants us to solicit help. He wants us to have a plan. He wants us to be aggressive. He wants us to, to go search them out and find them. Because they're worth it. People have value. And then we celebrate. That's what we did last weekend when we had baptisms. That's what it was. It was a celebration. We were baptizing people. We were baptizing people who were dead and have come to life. And we celebrate. And they're baptized and we clap and we cheer. 
Why? Because they were lost and then now they're found. They were dead, now they're alive. But it's hard work. In John chapter four, verse 35, Jesus says this. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. So he says, you plant and then you wait four months and then you have the harvest. And he says, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. See, what would happen is they would plant the field and they would wait. And some people would wait too long. They wouldn't pay attention. They weren't, they weren't watching the harvest. And as a result, they would wait too long and they would miss the harvest. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Pay attention, look around you. The harvest is ready right now. There is work to be done right now. Um, for years, we, we pastored in a church um, in Northwestern Oklahoma, and it was, we had a lot of farmers in our church, and we didn't see them during harvest season. They were not around much because they were working there trying to get the harvest in. Now, when we talk about the harvest in scripture, we get excited and it's like, oh, the harvest. And they had different celebrations and feasts for the harvest. And it was, a, it was a great time. But what we don't see when we dig into it is all the work, all the labor that goes into the harvest. Is the people I knew, the farmers I knew, when it came harvest time, they would go to work before the sun came up and they would go to go to bed well after the sun had come down. They would put in long hours. They were dirty, they were dusty, um, they were filthy. But at the end of the harvest, they would always say, it's worth it. That's why we do what we do. It is a ton of work, but it is always worth it. And I'm telling you, there are people all around you that are dead, that, that are lost, that are waiting for someone to carry life to them. And the harvest is ripe right now. You don't need to wait any longer. You don't need to wait for a sign. You don't need to wait for, for God to speak to you. You don't need to wait to, to be led by the Spirit. You need to share the life and light of Christ with people around you right now. We can't wait. The harvest is ripe. And if you wait any longer, you might miss it. Is it hard work? Absolutely. It is hard work. It is difficult. It is challenging. But it's worth it when you see the harvest come in. So reaching the lost is inconvenient. Reaching the lost is hard work. And finally, reaching the lost is, is emotionally taxing. I try to think of something better to say than emotionally taxing. That's what you got though. So after Jesus tells a story about the lost sheep, he tells a story about the lost coin. And then he tells a story about a lost son. And I referenced this story a minute ago. <clears throat> and he tells a story. He says, there was a very wealthy man and he had two sons, and one of his sons comes to him and says, I don't want to wait till you die for my inheritance. I want my inheritance right now. As a parent, doesn't that just bless you? <laughs> like, I'm going to snuff the life out of you right now. You don't have to worry about it in that inheritance, right? I'm going to use it to pay for my legal defense. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> and so the father responded, and he gave him his inheritance. And the son quickly left home. He rejected his family. He rejected their values, and he blew all of his money, he squandered it all on selfish living. He was doing what he wanted to do, um, pleasing himself, pleasing his flesh, uh, living in ways that were contrary to the way he was raised, I'm sure. And in the meantime, scripture doesn't get specific, but I have to believe there was a heartbroken father at home that was praying for and believing for his son to snap out of it. And one day, it finally happened. One day, the son found himself at rock bottom. 
He was homeless, he couldn't feed himself, and he realized even, even the workers in my father's house have it better than I do. At least they have enough food to eat. And he, he comes up with what he's gonna say, he rehearses what he's gonna say to his father, and then he sets out on the journey to go home, to, to try to get back into his father's house. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. It says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. He, he, he gave him his rehearsed speech. It says, but his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. They've been saving this calf for a special occasion. And he said, today is the special occasion. He says, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Now, I love this response. This is such a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, how he responds to us when we're foolish and selfish and run from him. This is what our Heavenly Father does. It says, while his son was still a long way off, he saw him. Now, I don't know if his father had planted himself and just waited and looked longingly at the horizon for his son to come back, or maybe his father just noticed him at the distance and realized his son was coming. But the point is, he was looking for his son. He, was, he had an expectancy that his son was coming back. And when he finally saw his son, he didn't greet him with judgment. He didn't greet him with harsh words. He greeted him with love. He greeted him with a kiss. It says that he was filled with love and compassion. He was filled with love and compassion for this young man who had squandered half his wealth, had rejected his family, had acted a fool. This father chose to love him, chose to kiss him, chose to embrace him. It didn't matter what his son had to say at that point, his father was throwing a party for him. It was already in his mind. We're celebrating the fact that my son has come home. We're gonna celebrate and there's symbolism behind the, the robe and the ring and the sandals that we don't have time to get into today. But the, the point is he was restoring him to the place as his son. He didn't have to be a servant in his father's house. He could be, he could be son again. And this is the way the father embraced him. And this is the way he approached him. And we see this and we celebrate and we're like, oh, what a happy ending. But what about the middle of that story? What about the sleepless nights where the father was praying that his son would come home, that his son would be safe, that his son would have what he needed, that his son would know God? Some of you have experienced this. Some of you are living it out right now. Some of you have a child that's far from God, that's made some decisions that have put them at odds with you. They've made some decisions about how they're gonna live, their lifestyle choices, that have put them at odds with you and your values and who you believe God is. And you've had sleepless nights and you've wondered what's gonna happen. And you know the emotional turmoil that's in your heart because of situations like that. See, reaching the lost is emotionally taxing because maybe it's not even your kid, but if, if you're going to reach the lost, you've gotta share your heart, you've gotta be vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable with people, there's a chance they'll reject us. And let's be quite honest, isn't it easier just to avoid that altogether? Well, they might reject me. Well, they might hurt me, so I'm just... I'm gonna avoid that. So we're not gonna talk about it. I'm not gonna bring this up. I'm not gonna be vulnerable. We're gonna keep it all surface level because I can't get hurt if we just talk about the weather. I can't be hurt if we just talk about sports. 
But if we're gonna reach the lost, it's, it's gonna take a toll on our emotions. In John chapter four, I read the verse to you a moment ago about the four months until the harvest. The fields are ripe. This is what he says. He goes on to say in verse 36, Jesus said, the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. He says they're harvesting people. What joy awaits both planter and harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. They'd already done the hard work. They've laid it out. They've gone before you. He says, but now you'll get to gather the harvest. I want to remind you, Jesus saves people. We don't save people. Sometimes we get frustrated because we don't see the results though. Um, man, I can't tell you how many IUP students, and it's good to see some of our IUP students back. I love you guys. Can't tell you how many IUP students have come through this church, and while they've been here, they're living like pagans. They're coming to church on Sunday, but there was literally a student one time, IU Patties. I was driving to church on Sunday morning, and a student from our church, she was doing the walk of shame on Sunday morning. And I saw her early and I did not honk her wave because she looked rough. <laughs> she was at church on Sunday morning after that walk of shame. And it was like, God, will she ever get it? See, we planted seed and planted seed and planted seed and planted seed and planted seed. We're like, we wanna see a harvest. And eventually somebody harvested. She's doing great. She's serving Jesus. She loves the Lord. And I don't regret that because we didn't get to see the harvest. I'm so grateful we got to plant the seeds. I don't care who harvests. And this is what we have to understand. You're gonna plant seeds sometimes and you're not gonna see the harvest. You're gonna plant seeds and somebody else is gonna see the fruit from that. And that's okay because we don't care. It's not like finding a coin. We are, we're in the business of reaching lost people. We're in the business of bringing dead people to life. And I don't care who gets the credit for that. And you shouldn't care because there's gonna be a gap between planting and the harvest. And you might not see the fruit of that, but it is okay because at the end, we all celebrate together. See, waiting for the harvest can be hard. It's emotionally taxing, but it's worth it. A couple of things I wanna point out about these three parables. Number one, um, there's two that are active and one that's passive, right? First person, the shepherd went to find the sheep actively, left and went, there was action. The second person, the woman, she lost the coin. She went to find the coin, she was active. The third person, the father waited. He waited for his son to come back. There are seasons where we will wait for the harvest, where we are waiting for God to do what he wants to do. We've done what we can, there's no more we can do. Now that is not an excuse for us to sit back and just wait for God to do everything. There are twice as many instances of action over waiting. So we need to be active, we need to be aggressive, we need to take life to dead people, we need to find the lost and see them rescued. It's active and passive. The second thing I noticed is this. It gets progressively more valuable. Did you notice that? The sheep is not worth as much as the coin and the coin is not worth as much as the person. And until we start believing that people are more valuable than things, we're never ever going to value the loss like Jesus wants us to. This is something that um, even this last week, um, so last weekend I preached at my home church in Oklahoma City in Mustang, Oklahoma. And I, I flew down, but I drove back. 
And so there was some stuff from my dad's shop that I brought home. And so I rented a U-Haul. And so we were going through some of my dad's stuff. And there were some things that I probably wanted, but I, I said, I don't want. That I said, nope, leave that for my sister, my older sister. And my, my mom just said, well, why, why wouldn't you take that? If you want that, take that. And I said, but here's the thing. Um, it's just a thing. And I don't want my sister to come back after me and be like, oh, he got all the sentimental stuff or he got the stuff that meant a lot to me or anything like that. Because I said, at the end of the day, Angie is more important than stuff. It's just stuff. And my girls probably won't care about it at some point anyway. They're, they're not gonna know whose it was or what it was. It's just an old thing, right? But for my sister, this is somebody I love. She has value. She has a importance. She is far more valuable than stuff. And I want you to understand the heart of God. God looks at people and, and we are more valuable than stuff to him. And we need to look at others that way as well. We need to see people who are different than us or hurt or maybe down on their luck. And we need to understand, hey, they might be different than me, but they're lost and they need Jesus. They need, I'm not better than them just because I got rescued from the pit earlier than them. They're more important than stuff. They're more valuable than stuff. This is what God wants for us. See, we can't say we love Jesus if we don't love what he loves. You know what Jesus loves? Lost people. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. So, so my invitation for you today, would you love people more than stuff? Would you love the lost people in your life because I promise you've got them? You've got them at your workplace. You've got them in your neighborhood. You might have them in your home. Would you love lost people more than you love stuff? Would you prioritize people over things? Would you prioritize lost people over your convenience? Would you prioritize lost people over your comfort of avoiding the hard things? Would you be aggressive? Would you actively search for them? Would you solicit help to, to reach the lost person? That's what God's inviting us into. And I can promise you this, whatever God asks you to do, if you'll be obedient to it, it'll be worth it. At the end of it, you're gonna be, man, I'm exhausted, but it was worth it. Man, that was hard, but it was worth it. Man, it was inconvenient, but it was worth it. If we'll just be obedient. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you that when we were lost, you sent your son for us. When we were far from you, Lord, the word says that when we were enemies to the cross, Christ died for us. So Lord, I pray that you'd give us grateful and humble hearts today. I pray that our eyes would be open to the lost people around us, that they're not just lost, but Lord, they're dead in their sins. They are living in darkness. And God, we carry life and light in us if we are followers of Jesus. So I pray today you would open our eyes. You would help us live lives that are not focused on ourselves, but are focused on you and focused on what you want. God, what you want is lost people. So God, I pray that corporately as a church, that would be a singular focus for us to reach the lost. But God, I pray for us as individuals as well, you give us eyes to see the lost and you give us a heart to be responsive to whatever it is you invite us into. Whether you, whether you call us around the world or across the street, God, I pray that you would help us be obedient to do whatever it is you ask us to do. Give us a heart for the lost people like you have, Lord. 
Help us to love them like you do. God, I pray for those that are in this room today that maybe they've recognized their loss. Maybe they recognize they don't have the life of Christ. Let today be the day they surrender it all. Let today be the day they, they recognize your beauty and your grace. And they're not convinced by my words, but God, they're convinced by your spirit. Thank you for making me a son. Thank you for the, the sons and daughters in this room for adopting us in when we were lost. I pray that that would be the case for, for somebody in this room today. So you gotta have your way with us over these next few moments. Now with nobody looking around. If you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be. I'm not walking with the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I'm dead in my sin. But I wanna know the life that you were talking about. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. If you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? And you can put it right back down. If you'd say, no, that's me, pray for me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, two, three hands on my left. Who else? Yeah, thank you on my right. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Say, Mel, I recognize today I'm dead and I want to be alive in Christ. All right. The book of Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud, whether you raised your hand or not. I want you to pray it from your heart, from your core. Don't just repeat it mindlessly like a robot. I want you to pray this prayer to the ears of God. So pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, I surrender my life to you. I turn away from my old life and my sin, and I'm chasing after you. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And this is what we'd like you to do. Um, you have, you've been introduced to Jesus, but we want to help you get to know Jesus. And so if you would, take just a minute and fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. Take it to the info center. When we finish in a moment, they're going to give you a Bible. Uh, if you'd prefer, you're watching online, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94000 and select the prompt that says salvation. Let us know about that. And we're going to respond back to you, get some information, get some things in the mail to you to help you begin to grow in your faith as well. So please take advantage of that. We want to help you. Um, prayer team is going to be here in just a moment as we're singing this final song. Pastor Kendall and Anna are going to lead us. And as we're singing this song, our prayer team is going to be here and pray with you about whatever your needs may be. And I want to encourage you as you're walking out today, there's some stickers that look like this one. It just says, ask me about Jesus. These are going to be on the tables out in the lobby. Pick one of these up on your way out. And to be perfectly honest with you, a sinner, a lost person is probably not going to ask you about Jesus when they see that. That's okay. Uh, it might happen, but what it does is a couple of things. Number one, um, well, my wedding ring. My wedding ring tells people I'm in covenant with somebody. I'm in relationship with somebody. But it's also a reminder for me every time I put it on, every time I wear it, that I'm in relationship with somebody. I belong to somebody. And this sticker, um, putting it on a thermos, putting it on your phone, wherever you might put it, that you're gonna see it is just a reminder for you that, hey, I am a carrier of life wherever I go. Um, and I wanna be ready to share that life with the people I come into contact with. I'm in covenant with somebody. 
and I'm in a relationship with somebody. So pick one of those up and put it somewhere you're gonna see it and be reminded of it. Stand your feet. Let's worship together one more time. Our prayer team's available. If you would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you guys. I love you more than I can possibly tell you. And I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have an awesome week.